Hello, my name is Ran, and this is the Flow Artist Podcast. Every episode, my co-host Joe Stewart and I speak with inspiring movers, thinkers, and teachers about how they find their flow and much, much more. I hope you are well. Before I begin, I'd like to honour the traditional custodians of the land where this podcast is recorded, the Wurundjeri people of the Kulin Nation, and I'd also like to honour the elders of the wisdom traditions of yoga, which we share and teach. I hope you are very well today. We have a great episode for you, for we are speaking with Beata Heyman. Beata is a yoga teacher, a yoga teacher trainer, and the creator of Breath Circle. Breath Circle is a health and well-being organization teaching mindful breathing in schools to support emotional regulation and mental health in young people. They work directly with schools to empower students and teachers to use mindful breathing as a tool for self-regulating emotions and building resilience. Beata is doing amazing work teaching breathwork to children, teenagers and their teachers, so we were excited to get the chance to speak with her. Beata's story does involve a very intense memory of family violence and the mental health of a family member, so we just wanted to give you a trigger warning about that. Her healing from this time really informs a lot of the work she does today, and we're truly honoured that our guests trust us to hold space for this kind of sharing. Before we get into our conversation, though, I just wanted to let you know about a few things that Joe and I have going on. Joe and I will be offering a presentation at the Embodied Yoga Summit with over 40 embodiment researchers and yoga facilitators in a live five-day online summit from the April 21st to 25th. It should be an amazing event and we'll be giving our presentation on making aerial yoga more accessible, something we are very passionate about. Speaking of aerial yoga, we have an amazing offer at our studio, Garden of Yoga. We've launched a new amazing aerial intro offer. You can get three aerial sessions for just $75. If you're looking to begin an aerial practice or just want to get back into it, it's a perfect way to start. This episode was brought to you by our sponsor, Yoga Australia, registering teachers and training courses to ensure that everyone in Australia has access to quality yoga teachers. All right, that is more than enough from me. Let's get into our conversation with Beata Heyman. Oh, Beata, thank you so much for making it along today. It's so great to get the chance to speak with you. Perhaps we could just start with you telling us a little bit about your background and perhaps how you discovered yoga. Sure. Thanks for having me, guys. It's really nice to be here. So I come from a background working with youth and I worked at a place called Cubbies in Melbourne for 12 years. And it's mostly second generation migrants to Australia. So from South Sudan and Eritrea and Ethiopia and across Africa. And these kids have sort of experienced quite a bit of trauma and they have a lot of kind of behavioral issues. And so they really schooled me on how to handle any kind of behavior that comes up when you're working with young people. And then I started to practice yoga as a way to give myself more energy to work with them because I found being there for 12 years, I'm this personality that wants to always give, give, give and take care and take care. And it got to a point where I realized I really needed to rein it in and take care of myself. And so yoga was a tool for me to give energy back so that I could serve better. 
And so when you were working with the kids before yoga, was it like more of a social work kind of context or education? Yeah. So sort of like social work, it's basically a drop-in centre and anyone from six to 16 years old comes and plays there and you cook food and everyone's, it's like a community, pretty much the backyard for anyone that lives in the commission housing there. And so we would do activities like building and there was an ethos that they wanted to teach kids their limit by letting them do activities that were kind of out of their comfort zone or with a little bit of risk involved so that they could learn where their boundaries were. So they use hammer and nails and wind light fires and (laughs) yeah, fun stuff. (laughs) Yeah, awesome. And so what was the inspiration to start Breath Circle? So really this came from my own life experience And so I grew up in a family where my dad had pretty severe mental health issues and he was suffering from bipolar. And there was so many beautiful times growing up with him because it's like he gets to experience such a depth of emotion. (laughs) So it'll be like, you know, he's an artist and he's a painter and every day is like beautiful and exciting and he's such a deep feeler that he kind of showed me the world in a really colourful way. But when he was down, it was really challenging. And, yeah, I guess it was okay until I got to be about 20, 21, and then he got really sick for the first time in my life and it wasn't properly managed by the mental health care system. So he went into a hospital, into an institution, and they took care of him, but he was still really manic and really unwell and they let him back into the community, which they shouldn't have done. And then he went home and actually murdered my stepmom, who, you know, was the biggest love of his life of eight years. And like, he was so happy with her more than I'd ever seen before. And so that was a huge shock to my system. (laughs) Yeah. I love my dad so much. And so I was like, okay, go and support him, forgive him straight away. That was like my eternal optimist (laughs) reaction to it. I'm like, it's going to be all right. (laughs) So I did that. But I guess it took me maybe eight years to really kind of understand it and process it and then (sighs) work out how to feel really safe and to trust him and to have a loving relationship with him. And it just changed the way I think about the whole world. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah, understandably, like such a heart-wrenching, earth-shattering thing to happen. And were you already trained as a social worker at the time? Like did you have that framework to kind of help you navigate or did it kind of draw you towards wanting to understand more about how the mind works and how to manage mental health? Yeah, so I was actually studying sculpture at art school at the time. So at that time I was like, I'm going to use my hands as a way to process the trauma. And that was really helpful for me then. And I was already working at Cubbies. I started there when I was 19. So I had the kids kind of training me, but never any really formal social work training. So it was really like learn on the job. And just do your best. And I had this awesome boss, Dave, who's like an old punk rocker from Melbourne. And he just had such soul wisdom from his life experience. And he taught me lots of tools to use with the kids, but I definitely didn't have enough (laughs) to know how to take care of myself. And I didn't really do so well at that for the first maybe three or four years. But when I started practicing yoga is when I really felt like I learned how to take care of myself. And 
it was like 10 years of psychotherapy. I could understand all the behaviors and I could, yeah, analyze myself so well, but it didn't change anything. And as soon as I moved my body and started breathing, started with a yin class, like super gentle, (laughs) that's when it shifted. And I could feel safe in the world again and like get excited about life again. And yeah, it, it really opened everything up for me. So I guess that experience is what led me to yoga. And then that's also why I want to teach breath circle because the breathing and the subtle practices were the parts of yoga that were really, really supportive for me in my own healing journey, or I call it like a healing experiment over 10 years on myself. (laughs) Yeah. And so I really want to get into that because like the subtle practices like breath can be so powerful and so profound, but also potentially quite triggering for people that do have that deep stuff going on or already have a bit of a uncertain relationship with their breath due to anxiety or, you know, like not being able to breathe easily is already a really stressful feeling. And then to make that a big part of the practice, like can be quite challenging for people. And I'm sure that you've encountered this and I'd really love to hear how you navigate it in your teaching and practices. Yeah. So I just started really slow and steady in my own practice and I wasn't really strong enough to do a Hatha or Vinyasa class. So it was all yin. And I found I would go to the back of the class because I was really uncomfortable about going to a yoga studio as well. You know, I thought it was for upper middle class white girls who had a perfect life and I just didn't feel like one of them. And so I went to Kundalini house and that felt like a really safe space. And I did some yin classes there and I just hide at the back and be in my own kind of healing process. And I found it was just a safe container to be able to do it in my own timing. And I didn't really push any strong practices for the first couple of years until I felt, okay, I'm back in my body now. I can ease into stronger Kriya or Pranayama or, you know, stronger Asana practice. So really for me, it's like slow and steady and listening to the body along the way. And when I teach the kids, really I'm just teaching them diaphragmatic breathing, deep belly breathing. We do some like playful pranayama and I teach them based on the elements of nature. So we work with like water, wind, earth and fire and how your body relates to the different elements of nature. And so we might do specific pranayama practices that match that energetic or that element of nature. But the focus is really just deep belly breathing, hands on the body and super simple. And they know that if they need a break or if something emotional comes up during the session, they can just go and take some time. And I make sure there's always a teacher or two there who can support if anyone has something come up or gets upset. And so did you think of the elements of nature yourself or is it kind of drawn from a training that you've done? Yeah, a bit of both. So I grew up by the ocean, so I'm like water girl, (laughs) water baby. And we were always just bush kids, like we were always out in nature. So I have a really strong connection to it in my own life and it's what I go to if I need, you know, to recharge or to ground or just get back into my own centre. And then I've been training quite a lot with Amit Carmeli, who's probably my main mentor now. And he's a, was an Israeli like singer and musician back in the seventies, played in like a psych 
funk band <laughs> and now he's more on a guest spiritual journey and he holds space for people to free their voice and we kind of meditate into collective consciousness in a circle and he's really informed the structure of breath circle and a little bit of the themes as well so I mentor with him and he's given me the idea to use the elements of nature because everyone can relate to it yeah it's really good for kids well that was actually my next question because like looking at your Instagram it does seem like you work in a lot of like rural settings and like often you're out in nature and so it's like immediate like there's the trees there's the ground beneath like how do you find it teaching in a more urban setting if, say, you're in a school and there's, like, concrete or, like, you have to teach the class in the gym rather than outside? Yeah, so obviously I prefer to be in the bush and I'm super lucky. Some of the schools I teach at are beautiful. Like, some of them have a whole bush block out the back and they've built cubby houses through it and we can go and do breath circle there and the kids love it. It's, like, their special place. And I find they're just they drop in really quickly because you're already in nature. But having said that, I don't know if you guys experience this when you teach as well. Sometimes when you're in a room that's closed or like a contained space, it can be a little bit easier to hold the space and to get everyone's attention focused. When we're outside, especially with little kids like preppies and stuff, they're just like so distracted and, you know, oh, did you see that bird and like fiddling with the grass and all this happens. So in a way it's a little bit easier if we are in a classroom because they're just super attentive. I definitely would feel like it'd be a lot easier vocally because I find I don't teach that many kids classes, but I couldn't, I don't think I could do more than one in a day. Like I kind of (laughs) need to rest and rest my voice afterwards. And mine are usually inside because I teach urban kids. So like outside holding space, projecting voice to like, so all the kids really hear you, but also teaching breath practices where you want to have a relaxed kind of calm tone to your voice while subtly commanding attention. Yeah. <laughs> it's a lot. Yeah, it, is. it is. And I guess that leads me to my next question. How directive and I guess commanding do you tend to be in your sessions? Like do you kind of let the energy of the kids inform what you do or is there like more of a clear structure that you stick to in the sessions and finding that balance between like being playful and being fun but also it not just turning into total chaos? Yeah, for sure. Good question. So I always I plan a 10-week program before I start and I do plan every session in a really kind of simple format. And then I arrive on the day and I'm like, okay, this is our theme. We're doing fire. These are some more like activating movements or breath practices that we'll do. But depending on the energy of the kids, and I usually ask them, show me with your hands how much energy you've got. Oh, I like that. Yeah. And they can go small or big arms. And then you get a bit of a gauge for where they're at. And really you've got to be so flexible and teach to the room because if you've got, like I had 44 grade three and fours yesterday (laughs) and we were outside and they were from a low socioeconomic area in Wangaratta and it was a bit chaotic, like they were wild. So so I just started with them laying down, like, okay, we're going to start with breathing, everyone lay down. And sometimes that works really well. If their energy's high, you just get them on the ground. Sometimes if the energy is high, you got to meet them there and then slowly bring them back down. And yeah, it is sort of feeling the energy of the group and then teaching to it. 
but my structure helps me to kind of stay on track. And if I feel a little bit overwhelmed sometimes, especially with that many kids, <laughs> I'm like, okay, what's next? <laughs> and I just follow my little, you know, book and it, yeah, it supports me in that way. The other thing I've noticed about teaching kids is if you come in a little bit rattled or a little bit disheveled, it's like that class is not going to go well. They're going to totally pick up on that energy. And I could imagine as well, like after teaching 44 kids and a lot of mayhem, you probably needed a bit of self-care. Yeah. (laughs) Like, do you have any rituals or practices that you do for yourself either before the class or afterwards that are just kind of about your own self-nourishment? Yes, for sure. I have several. So I guess for me, I need good sleep and I always make sure I've got good sleep hygiene because I'm kind of a slow, (laughs) chilled kind of personality. Like I'm not high energy, which might seem strange when I teach kids, but yeah, I just know I need good sleep to be able to function and I need to move my body as well. So it's usually yoga. Sometimes I try to do more active movement, but for me, I just, it's my like happy place to stretch it out. So that's really a daily practice. And I do notice if I don't move my body, if I don't do yoga, I feel like I have less of my natural superpowers to give. (laughs) And then I also sit and meditate. And sometimes it'll just be silent, like listening to my breath and tuning in with that rhythm. And sometimes I sing like wild freedom. (laughs) And just whatever comes out and maybe I'll start with a sigh and then just let it go. And I find both of those to be really useful at different times. How about say you're like driving there and you get caught in traffic and you're just like, oh, my God. (laughs) Do you have like a quick go to? Yeah. Yeah, so it's breathing really, like a really strong inhale and a big sigh out. For me, giving the breath voice is the most powerful way to shift my energy and it happens even quicker than just breath for me. So I teach that quite a bit in breath circle as well. But if I've been in traffic and I'm late, it'll be a huge inhale and then I'll just sigh it out. And if that's not enough, I might get out of the car and just shake my body (laughs) or like jump a couple of times. I've actually found like (laughs) shaking to be super helpful. I've been working with a little girl with autism who also has anxiety and I've actually found that shaking practice just before we start everything else has really changed our sessions. Amazing. So simple but so powerful. (laughs) Yeah, yeah, because she's not someone who would just lie down to start the class. Like we really have to work to get to that place. Yeah. And do you have any other, like, cause you mentioned the lying down and the sighing and do you have any other go-to practices where you come in and the kids are just like climbing up the walls or (laughs) climbing up the trees if they're outside? Yeah. So sometimes it's really good to get them to do a, I don't want to say choreographed, but a structured movement with sound and breath. So they're actually using those three tools all at once. And if they're a bit ratty or their attention's off with the fairies, it can be great to rein them in by making them focus in that way. And for me, it's like my voice is quite big when I need it to be, not yelling, but it can be quite powerful. So I have one exercise where we just stand up and it's like connecting earth, air and sky. And we take a big breath in and then we go like, and just do the vowel sounds and we project the oh as long as we can and it's like a bit of a competition to see whose all can be the longest oh they love it (laughs) and then it's like they're in their body they've used their voice they've had to think about three things at once and suddenly everyone's attention is centered 
Yeah. And they've all been moving in rhythm with each other. So that can like help with that connected group energy as well. Yeah. Unifying the room. Rhythm is such a powerful tool with kids. It's amazing. Mm. So something that occurred to me just this morning, I noticed that you call what you do breath circle rather than pranayama. I'd love to hear your thinking behind that. Is it just about making it more clear for people or is it because you kind of draw from a lot of different practices, not just yogic breathing? Yeah, so partly it's to make it really clear and accessible because sometimes I feel if we use words like pranayam or asana or anything in Sanskrit, it cuts a lot of people out of the game. And I'm really interested in working with a diverse group of people and from all different cultural backgrounds. And so I try to just make it really simple layman's terms to talk about deep practices. And even what I teach is like a very simple, accessible version of a deep lineage of yoga (laughs) and a few things pulled together from sound and meditation. But I just feel like it makes it easier for people to relate to and connect to if it's simple language. And also the breath circle for me, when I sit, it feels like I have this circle of energy from my pelvis to my crown and back. And it's like a infinite circle of breath and energy that flows through my body when I meditate. So it's also a bit of a personal or direct experience of that. Yeah, that's really beautiful. I could imagine as well, pitching to different schools, it would be quite helpful to have something that sounds very secular rather than something that a school could interpret as having a like a Hindu background or... Yeah, for sure. And I had a bit of coaching on this with a training I did with Kat and Bodie who do Breathe School up in Queensland. And they basically advised us to just use really simple language and to even include or borrow words from bigger orgs who are doing similar work, like Smiling Minds. They've got amazing like evidence-based mindfulness documents that you can read and just go, oh, cool. Thanks for doing the research. Yes, this is why it works, you know, and sort of, yeah, I guess pulling those together. Sorry. <laughs> no, that's really helpful because I think sometimes launching something new, like a new program, it's like, oh, it's all on me. I have to create all these materials and it's massive. So it's actually really helpful to be like, it's okay. You can look at other people doing something similar and draw from the work that they've already done. And I guess obviously credit them appropriately if you are using yeah. their materials. <laughs> yeah. But um, I think especially something like Smiling Mind, it's a bit of a it's like designed to be a resource for other people, right? Yeah, that's it. And I think if you're starting something by yourself as well, it can be really overwhelming. You know, it took me a year just writing the idea basically or the intention before I started acting or teaching anyone in reality. (laughs) And so to have support from people who've done it before or to go to a big org who've got it written out beautifully It just helps when I'm writing grant applications or, you know, when I'm dealing with big systems like the education system and going into schools, there's a certain language that you really need to speak in order for them to hear you and value what you're doing. And the more concise you can be with that, the better. I'm lucky because mum is a teaching coach and she's amazing. So we do some one-on-one mentoring and she helps me write lesson plans and She just is around the language so clearly. So she's really supportive, like reading, you know, anything before I send it out. And yeah, it's great to just ask for help, basically. (laughs) I think that's something that comes up for a lot of people launching something new, like a new business, like you feel like you've got to be super professional and like 
if you ask for help, people aren't going to take you seriously. <laughs> but you can actually ask if you haven't done these things before, and especially something like a grant application. It's okay to actually get in touch with the people and clarify things. And I don't know, like I think we set up a lot of expectations around ourselves and they aren't always necessary or helpful. Yeah, for sure. And I found when I do contact the people that I'm applying for grants with, you form a relationship, you know, and then they hear you and maybe they meet you and they get a feeling for you and they're like, oh, she's really genuine. Like this is coming from her heart. We believe in it and they'll support you even more, which is actually what's happened in my experience in the country. They're like, yeah, we'll find your program. That's awesome. Like just having met them and spoken to them in person. So yeah, I think the more you reach out and contact people and talk to people, the better really. I was going to ask, I'm just kind of curious, have you found any other sort of challenges working in and around the education system? Mm. Bit of a surprise question. Yeah, good good question. (laughs) Yes. I think actually the biggest challenge with Breath Circle as a program is getting it into schools. Because once you're in, you know, like I know what I'm doing. I believe in it because I've tested it on myself and, you know, the kids I work with for 12 years, I really trust the work and love it. But getting in the door, it's so hard, especially if you're not a big org and you don't have lots of funding to back you and you're really just an artist starting something from nothing. <laughs> so I think, yeah, their challenges are that they don't have heaps of spare time, you know, they're overworked, the teachers, most of them, and pretty stressed out and could use some breathing practices themselves. A lot of the time they're really grateful when we do it with them and the kids. And there's not a whole lot of wellness funding available. So usually you come up with no funding, no time, basically. We'd love to have you, but it's just not in our capacity. And so I've found if I can get the funding and go to them, suddenly they've got time. Awesome. (laughs) It's actually interesting you should mention that because I'm not a big org and the way that I've got all of my teaching at school classes is by actually teaching the teachers yoga. And then they've actually booked me in their PE time slots. And sometimes there's been a like week for the VCE kids to help them learn about how to manage stress and things like that. But uh yeah, I found that teaching the teachers has actually been a really good way to like make some contacts in the school. Yeah. And free it, teachers class. Yeah, <laughs> yeah totally. They it wasn't it. even free. I know. <laughs> and it was like a teacher who went to my gym class and was like, oh, do you think you could come and teach the teachers before school? Awesome. <laughs> so I saw on your Instagram that you actually just made a breath circle film, which yeah. is amazing. Do you yeah. want to tell us a bit about that? Yeah, sure. So I was lucky actually. My cousin is a filmmaker and He lived in Afghanistan for years and made like films about working with kids over there and empowering young people to sing and speak out. And he, his friend, Jake Simkin, who's another filmmaker that lived with him in Afghanistan was available. So he came up from Melbourne and shot with us for a day and a half. We did three schools and I haven't actually seen it yet. He's probably going to send it to me like tonight, but I'm super excited because it just... It was like a natural way of seeing the kids and what we actually do in the program. And so he'd just be shooting as we were doing Breath Circle and the kids were in their zone and it was all really candid. And then we also got to hear from the kids directly their experience of the program, which is when you get like the gold nuggets because they're so honest. (laughs) They tell you exactly how they feel. And 
there's not this wall where they can't be emotive or, you know, they're still kids. They're still really free with their expression. So I think hearing from them is so powerful. We also heard from the teachers and some of the principals about how it's supported being calm in the classroom and like kids focusing on their work and less bullying in the school. And one of the schools I've worked at for three terms now. So they've had about probably 50 sessions and it's amazing to see the change there. And that's actually the school in the valley where most of the troubled kids go. <laughs> and they were my first school. So I was like, right, <laughs> doesn't always work out that way. Yeah. <laughs> I can handle them. I can handle anyone. But, yeah, they found it. it is changing how the whole school community functions, which is awesome. Wow, that's amazing. Do you tend to work with all age groups and all years or is there like a particular age that like it feels really powerful and is kind of your favourite to teach? Mm, Good question. So in the country schools, a lot of them only have 25 to 45 kids. So if that's the case, we work with the whole school at once and it's prep to grade six. So it's interesting making a program that suits all of those age groups. Yeah. Yeah, it can be challenging, but because it's so action-based, like really we're moving our bodies, there's a lot of like free movement and dance and play. We're singing together, so like creating rhythms, and then they all love the breathing and relaxation at the end, like it's a winner every time. So I feel like it's accessible to all age groups. But having said that, when I taught the middle years, so from grade six really up to year nine, I feel like that's who needs it the most because they're teenagers basically. It's like in a chaos. I mean, I was so angry when I was a teenager. I was horrible. I just had so much energy and rage and I wanted to let it all out and like I didn't know what to do with it. And, you know, there's so much change going on inside and you hate your parents maybe and (laughs) you want to be free. Like I moved out of home when I was 15 and that was probably good because I was just a terror to be around at home. But some of these kids are stuck at home, you know, maybe their family situation's not good. And yeah, there's a lot of internal turmoil that can result in like mental health issues. And if they don't have tools to kind of process it and deal with it and release some of that tension, it can cause a lot of issues, you know, later down the track. And Yeah, I feel like that's a really important age to empower them with these tools. And if I had learnt that at that age, it would have saved me a lot of hassle. I feel like no matter what age someone discovers yoga, they're always like, if I had have learnt this earlier, it would have made my life so much easier. Yeah, for sure. Hello, Ran here, just popping in to let you know about our upcoming 100th episode. Episode 100 will be a special event where Joe and I will reminisce over the last three years of the podcast and talk about what comes next. We're going to experiment a little and try live streaming it. We'll stream this special episode on Facebook and Twitch on Sunday the 11th of April at 7pm Australian Eastern Standard Time. I'll leave links in our show notes, so take a look there for more details. Exciting stuff. All right, let's get back to our conversation with Beata Heyman. And so I feel like it's really shone through anyway, but what do you love most about doing this type of work? 
really I love being a big kid and like <laughs> pretty much unleashing my inner dog because <laughs> there's no judgment like I mean maybe with the year nines they were scary they did judge me for sure they freaked me out but with the little kids there's no judgment they're just like oh, this lady's a bit free and fun like oh, well, we're dancing and singing now okay cool and you can kind of set the bar to how much freedom is allowed as the facilitator it's like cool if you're willing to be this vulnerable and this open with them then they open up and if you do it in a way that's safe and like steady, it's beautiful. Like you get to meet their real selves. Like they're so truthful in their expression. And I absolutely love that. And also I love the gratitude part. Every session we do gratitude at the end and they get really good at it by about week five. They start to understand that when you give thanks for something and tell us why you're thanking for it, everybody can learn from it. So that's when you get to hear the absolute magic of how it's supporting them in their lives and they're so genuine with their gratitude. It's different to adults. We can be a little bit conditioned by society and say the right thing at the right time, but young people, they say it how it is and it's so refreshing. (laughs) I really love that part of it. It would mean you'd finish your class on a really nice note. Exactly. <laughs> just like all that love and gratitude. Exactly. It's so good as a facilitator because you're like, oh, awesome. Like, <laughs> they got it. And you can walk away just like, hmm, my work's done today. Yeah. <laughs> and so, because I've taught at quite a few year nine age groups and it totally feels like that age where like singing in a group and like free dance kind of stuff would be like, a challenging sell to help them feel comfortable with that and would definitely rely on you being super comfortable with it because you would be like energising that whole group. Do you include that stuff with that age group or have you got any strategies just to like get the vibe going? Yeah, that's a great question, Joe. And I do sometimes include it, but actually my first year nine group I ever had My mentor suggested that I go in and treat them just like the kids and let them be free and let them have fun. And it was an absolute disaster. They were so uncomfortable in their bodies and self-conscious and worried about being cool. And I was up there dancing like the wind. And they're all just like, what is this lady doing? (laughs) And I realized very quickly that was not what to do with that age group. And so I had the same group a day later And I kind of, usually I try not to be an authority presence at all. I try to be like on their level and everyone's equal and I'll sit down with them. But for this, I actually stood up and I used diagrams and I talked about the anatomy of breathing and the physiology of breathing. And it was like, okay, you guys have been brainwashed to learn from a teacher who stands up and dictates information to you. Maybe I need to play that game just a little bit to get you interested. And then we can free our bodies in a more structured way. So I just gave them heaps of structure basically and more info. And once they knew what we were doing and why and how it was helping them with their mental health, then they were like hanging off every word, you know, like really into it. So yeah, it's got to be more structured for that age group for sure. And I found that's when that age group gets really disruptive when they are feeling self-conscious and awkward. Like that's usually when they really arc up. (laughs) Exactly. And they can be really rude, (laughs) like really disrespectful. Yeah. I was actually surprised. They kind of scared me and I didn't want to go back the next day, but I always do. (laughs) And like the very next day, like not even a week till I recover. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. You learn as you go. Like so much of it you learn as you do it. (laughs) And 
do you like the teacher to be involved at all or are they just more in the background, just sort of watching or taking part? Yeah, so at first I invited the teachers to be there and just be observing, but I realised pretty quickly that it was a bit uncomfortable for the kids if the teachers were just watching. And so after about a week I was like, okay, teachers can come but they need to participate. And I try not to ask them to be disciplinary because I want the space to be really free and I also want it to be a clear representation of reality where spontaneous things happen. There's always a distraction. You know, it's life. It's messy. It's chaotic. So if they can learn how to tune in and breathe and like be present with their body amidst a little bit of chaos, awesome. They can do it out in life as well but it definitely helps having the teacher's presence there. Yeah. Because you you can't really discipline when you're teaching a program. There's not heaps of space for it and I don't want to. I want to invite them into freedom. So and and are they generally very receptive to that approach? Yeah, it seems to work pretty well. Depending on the area though. Like some for some areas and some teachers it's pretty far out there. Maybe they've never done any yoga before. Maybe they've never sung before, you know, more conservative, especially out in the country. And so some of them I can see it's a bit of a surprise or a shock, but usually I kind of do it in a way that we don't take it too seriously and we have fun. So everybody can relax and be themselves. And by the end, they're all into it. Is there some, because I've always had the teacher there in the room as well, is there even some legal aspect to it that if the teacher's there, I don't know, like I feel supported, like if anything was going to happen, like a kid hurt themselves or something, you've got like that backup, you know, they can look after the kid. And it definitely feels like it would be a whole nother level to just be you <laughs> and the kids. Yeah, for sure. Meeting them for the first time. Yeah, for sure. You definitely need that support, I think. And it is really good to have another responsible adult. I mean, we all have insurance as yoga teachers and, you know, we know our duty of care, but just having another adult who knows the kids, who they respect already, it really helps. And if anyone is a little bit out of line or distracted, they can kind of shh a little. Or if someone gets upset as well, you really need a teacher there to be able to take them out of the space and give them a breather because I can't really stop facilitating to care for one or two kids. And it has happened a few times when someone will just start crying when we're doing the breathing because, you know, you're it brings stuff up. Like you're breathing into your belly we know that our bodies hold trauma, like that amazing book, Bessel van der Kolk, The Body Keeps the Score. You know, if you're breathing into your belly for the first time and there's been any kind of traumatic thing in your life, maybe it's held there and it releases and you might not have experienced anything like that before. Could be crying, could be laughing, any kind of emotional release and it's all good, but you need to be supported in that moment. So having a teacher there is great for that. And is that something that you kind of articulate a little bit as you're leading into this work that like this is some of the things that can come up and it's part of being a human being and, you know, how much do you kind of go into that, I guess, trauma theory and trauma-informed practice or is it more just creating that safe space and safe container so that no matter what does come up, there is a support system there to help navigate it? Yeah. So with the kids, I tend not to talk too much about trauma and I tend not to, I don't want to plant ideas for what may happen because I really want them to have their own authentic experience. So it is more about holding a safe container and maybe I'll talk a bit about emotions 
being okay and being healthy to express all of them. And that whether it's laughing or crying, it's just a moment of unity. I might not use that word with them because it's a bit spiritual, but (laughs) that's what I believe, you know, whether you're laughing or crying, you're united with your breath or with spirit or however you want to call it. And so if someone is experiencing that, it's great. It means they're connecting and they're releasing and it's real. So really just making it okay for them to let it out and feel safe to do so. And I guess with your element structure, it's already a bit there. So it's already like, oh, sometimes you feel fiery and sometimes you feel windy. Yeah, totally. And we talk about emotions and we act them out and, you know, we feel what does it feel like in your body and they put their hands up and tell me and it is very centred around what do our emotions feel like, how do they present in the body and the physiology and then what can we do if we need to shift them. Can we use our breath? Can we move? Can we sing? Can we sigh? (laughs) I guess this is a bit of a random question but in a way do you feel like you're kind of sort of gently unwinding the the general condition that conditioning that we do have in society and and in school and and that type of thing. Yeah, I hope so. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> that is part of the goal. Really, I just think that if we can let kids stay free and stay loving and continue in that way and have that free and loving relationship with themselves and with their body and breath into adulthood, like imagine what could happen to the whole planet could be a huge shift in the way we relate, in the way society works if our kids grow up empowered and valuing freedom, valuing nature, valuing love over striving to achieve superficial goals that aren't going to bring you happiness. Like it's an empty dream. I feel like it's so powerful as well to give kids the tools to experience their bodies in a way that's not about an aesthetic thing and not about trying to change how they look and who they are or even like a goal orientated, like trying to run faster, but just to actually enjoy being in their bodies and enjoy movement and I don't know, like giving them tools to like be on their own team and to like love themselves as well as everyone around them. Yeah, exactly. And as you say, Joe, like no achievement. I'm not expecting them to do anything. And I did think at one point maybe we should do a, like a concert at the end or do teach the parents breathing from the kids, like how cute. But then I was like, nah, then they're expected to perform and that's not cool. They just need to be able to be themselves in the moment and be however they're feeling and love it or accept it or, you know, just live with it. <laughs> yeah. Do you teach adults as well or just kids? Yeah, I do. So I do a teacher training because I want this to be a whole school approach where everyone's involved. So I train the teachers just to teach the breathing practice and ideally they'll do it every day in the classroom for the rest of their lives. And then I also get the parents in and run a session with them so that they get an experience of the breathing and then I invite them Obviously, I can't really control what happens at home, but I give them a good invitation to practice it with the kids at home so that they're experiencing mindful breathing everywhere they go and it becomes a natural part of their lives. But I also teach adults yoga. I love yin and pranayam. They're like my favourites. Teach a slow flow and, yeah, I'm heading into teaching more adults who teach kids as well on the teacher training at AYA. So I'm doing like a mindful breath and movement course for teachers or parents or yoga teachers that are interested in working with kids. And so do you find that there are some surprising like similarities between like the kids stuff and how adults respond? Yeah, for sure. 
I think with adults, it can take a bit more to get them to express themselves freely. So I did a yoga for anxiety workshop in the country the other week. And I guess yoga out there is a bit different. It's quite simple, not really spiritual at all. And we're just stretching our bodies and breathing, which is awesome. It makes it accessible. But I was there with my harmonium doing rolling arms and like chanting, you know, bidja mantras for different parts of the body. And it's a bit different to what they're used to. And at the beginning, they were a bit like unsure. But by the end of two hours, you know, everyone's singing and loving it and feeling vibration in their body. And so I think as long as you're comfortable with it, like you said earlier, Ron, if you're comfortable with what you're teaching, everybody else will kind of accept it and love it too because they can feel that you're genuine and that you love it. (laughs) And I feel like you are definitely a teacher. Like that just shines out of you, even just hearing you talk about it. Like you can tell how much you love these practices (laughs) and how passionate you are. Oh, thanks. Yeah, thanks, Mum. I was always like, I'm never going to be a teacher because Mum is and she's always stressed because she was a full-time school teacher and I'm a single mum and I was like, nah not interested, doesn't look like fun, but doing it in my own way, it's awesome (laughs) because I teach what I love, not like school subjects. (laughs) And and do you share what you're teaching with her? I do. And it's actually so nice because we've had an interesting relationship over the years with our, what happened in our family and really different reactions to it. And so finally, I feel like there's this respect between us and we're like friends and equals now and it's beautiful because she'll come and do pranayam with me and come to my yoga classes and she loves it and I'll go and receive training from her in how to structure programs and lesson plans and it's like a really balanced relationship it's so nice she listens to me now like you're teaching something to her as well it's like a much more equal relationship than you know she's the teacher and the mum and you just do what she says yeah yeah it's good and so like we've already heard about so many aspects to creating and launching a program like this like way beyond what you actually share in the sessions is there anything that you wish you knew starting out that you know now And do you have any advice for other teachers who maybe have the little seed of an idea that they'd like to grow? Yes, I did. (laughs) I did think about this question. It's a good question. So I pretty much started having no idea what I was doing, (laughs) to be honest. And I've always been a bit of an eternal optimist. Like even when shit hits the fan, I'm like, it's going to be okay because I feel like I can handle anything. Like I have this inner resilience and I trust myself really strongly. So I don't know, I never give up. And like, it's just my part of my personality. Maybe I'm like a bit Aries fiery, like you can do it, keep going. And so when I started this, I was like, if I set my mind to this and I believe in it and it's coming from my heart, it's going to work because that's what's always happens in my life experience so far. So basically I was like, okay, this is really important to me. It's changed my life. It's healed me in like so many ways. And I've felt myself shift from being really anxious and traumatized and pretty like hermit, (laughs) not really able to be in the world to, wow, I actually feel good in my body. I trust myself. I'm in life, I'm engaging with people and I'm happy to be here and be alive. And so just feeling that shift in my own self, it's like that is so powerful. And if 
breathing and moving is the way I can do it. Maybe it'll help other people as well who are stuck in that anxiety or depression or whatever it may be. So I guess just having that experience and that trust in the process and knowing that it works was a huge motivator. And then it was like overwhelming. Okay, where do you start? It's like, okay, write it down. What's your intention? Anyway, slow build over a year of ideas and like little post-it notes and, you know, research into other people's programs and just getting inspiration, gathering inspiration, and then trialing it in a few schools. So volunteering at first, really good first step because you don't really know if you want to do it until you try. Maybe you try and then you realize, oh, it's not how I imagined. No, thanks. Or maybe you're like, awesome, this is it. Let's go. Yeah. Then I guess it's like, for me, it was learning on the job. So learning as you go and listening to the kids, because they're your best teachers ever. And they know way more than we do, than we think we know teaching them. (laughs) And I guess just responding to what's happening in the environment. But as for the behind the scenes stuff, like the admin and the business side, not a businesswoman, (laughs) terrible, terrible businesswoman. So I probably do too much for free. I probably still do. I think soon I'll need to invite other people in to support who have those skills because I love teaching and I love practicing. I don't love business and admin. I've been doing it all by myself and some days it's hard. I don't want to sit on my computer for five hours typing and researching and writing grant applications. It's not fun. <laughs> just want to be with the kids. So yeah, I think I need to ask people for help soon. And Yeah, I guess if you're just starting out and you're not sure how, talk to people, volunteer, and just do it. Like, don't be scared to try because you might get a happy surprise, you know? You might love it. And I think, like, everyone's got to do it for the first time sometime. And doing stuff like grant applications or pitching programs, if they don't go for it, it's not humiliating. They'll just send you back a nice email or you just won't hear back. Like it's not like failing on stage. It's just a learning process. And each time you write that application, it's a little bit easier for the next time. You can do a bit of copy and pasting and a bit of tweaking. And I do find that what you were talking about, like writing things on post-it notes and just kind of formulating your own thoughts, it's actually great to do that kind of writing when it's not under pressure because those little gold nuggets are like gems that you can draw from when you are putting together applications and things like that. Would you suggest, like you have your mum as a teacher, (laughs) would you suggest people maybe connecting with a teacher if they haven't kind of done the school stuff before just to like get a bit of a way in? Yeah, for sure. It's a great idea. Just having a wellbeing coordinator or someone that really believes in the work on your side is an amazing way to get in. And that's sort of how it happened in the country. I met a woman, Robin, and she's the wellness coordinator at Myree. And she ran the program for two terms and I volunteered and we refined it and then structured it a bit more clearly. And then she sent it out to five schools in the region that are all connected. It's like a little bit of an umbrella sort of system and they all adopted the program. So now it's running in five schools for the whole term and it's important that you've got someone in the community that believes in it that can vouch for you, especially in a smaller place because they really, it's quite tight-knit and they really listen to each other and value each other's experience. So 
yeah, it's a great way to get in and have some support. And I guess the other thing, which seems really obvious, but um, can take a little bit of time, is make sure you have your working with children card. Oh, yeah, for sure. (laughs) For sure. Very important. And if you want anyone to come in and photograph or film, you know, anyone that's visiting the school, I've had friends come in who already work with kids, so they had them. But you've got to make sure that everything's above the line and photo permission is such a big thing as well. If you're going to document what you do, make sure every kid has photo permission and be really clear on it. So um, you've, you've shared a bit about your own like self-care practices and, you know, how helpful you find yin and you find pranayama. Have you noticed your own yoga practices kind of shifted and evolved the more that you're teaching these things? Yeah, for sure. So since I've been teaching kids the last year or or more, my own practice is less serious, (laughs) way less serious. I I realised that something in me loves the discipline of yoga and of asana and loves that feeling that your body's been in a shape and it remembers it for the rest of the day and you have those subtle sensations that continue and stay with you and you feel like you've opened. But at the same time, being free in the way you move and breathe is awesome. (laughs) And sometimes I don't want to be in these specific shapes and I don't want to take five breaths and hold, you know. Sometimes I just want to listen to music or silence and move however my body feels to and it's really liberating to kind of diverge from that strict structure of a yoga class and to just let the body do what it needs. And I think using the voice has changed it a lot too because I find so much freedom when I make sound. It's not really singing. It's like just making sound. But I don't know, it allows me to express like everything in a very truthful way and it it feels like a big release and it feels like, I don't know, I'm loving myself almost unconditionally or trying to by accepting whatever comes out. (laughs) Yeah. And so this sounds like more of a self-practice than a showing up in class. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Letting it all come out. Don't do that in front of the children. No, no, definitely not. You've got to be the safe container. You've got to be regulated. And this is a total out of the blue question because I actually didn't know that you studied sculpture before you started yoga teaching and I studied printmaking and visual art before I started yoga teaching. How do you find that your own creativity has shifted? Like do you still make things or do you feel like this is just the outlet for that creativity in your life now? Yeah, so I haven't made things for quite a while, maybe four years. It's not a guilt question. (laughs) (laughs) No, I know. Thank you, Joe. I did actually revisit the foundry where I used to work. We made like big scale bronze sculptures for artist commissions in Sunshine. Oh, wow. Yeah. And they were like my family, you know. I've managed to be adopted by lots of awesome families because mine's a bit crazy over the years. So (laughs) they were one of them. And yeah, I worked there for four years and I got to make my own work and they let me use the space and the materials, which I couldn't normally afford, which was awesome. And I just actually the last week got re-inspired to make sculpture again because I hung out with some artists and went to see a film with them that they'd made and they were just living their passion and making art and it reminded me how beautiful that is and you know, okay, I'm quite busy doing what I'm doing and I'm working pretty hard on growing breath circle, but I can allow space to keep working with my hands. And it actually does bring me so much joy. And it is like a therapy for me to just get out of my head and into 
my hands. And with bronze, it's like from clay to bronze is such a long process and there's always something to do. So I really appreciated that, especially when I was super anxious because it meant that I wasn't in my thoughts and I was just taking it one step at a time in this really kind of visceral and there's lots of different materials. You go through clay, wax, sometimes fiberglass, not so nice, and then end up with like, you know, molten metal and then to bronze and then you're grinding hard metal. So it's from really soft to really hard and it changes so much. It's just beautiful. It's like alchemy. (laughs) Yeah. So I will. I will make more sculptures. (laughs) Because printmaking is a similar process Mm. and it's not till that moment at the end, like in printmaking it's where you peel off the paper and in bronze it would be where you take it out of the mould. And it's like each little step along the way, it's just like one little mark or one little thing and you can kind of get really in the moment with that because there's not a lot of pressure on each of those little steps unless something goes really wrong, which can happen as well and be a different sort of lesson. But then like at the end of it, you're like, whoa, look at this thing that I made. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. And I feel like as well there's something about say yoga was your haven and your safe space and your retreat to nurture yourself and then it's evolved into your offering to the world and your job and also something that you need to do to be in the right state of mind to do your job because if you try and do that and not do your practice, then that doesn't usually work out that well long term. I feel like it's kind of essential to find another hobby, like something that can actually be a hobby and not a vocation, (laughs) (laughs) like something just for fun. (laughs) You're so right. Actually, my partner says this to me, like, be what do you do just for fun or like what do you do just to relax? Like, yeah, I go for walks in nature and I swim and but it is often like a movement practice or like I'm always kind of doing the work somehow and it is challenging for me to just have fun. So it's like really important to have a hobby. Thank you, yes, for reminding me. (laughs) There's actually a ceramic studio in town I'm thinking about going in there. Just making some cups, you know, ease back in. (laughs) Presents for friends. Yeah, (laughs) totally. Work your way out to full scale. Yeah. 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 And also that would have that same magic where you'd like drop it off and then the next week you'd come back and it would be glazed and so, you know. Yeah. Yeah. (laughs) I actually find like for fun time moving practice, I hula hoop as well. And that's like a really good like yin yang yoga counterbalance. (laughs) That'd be fun. (laughs) Yeah. Mm, Beautiful. I guess we've got one more question. So you probably know what this question is. If you could distill everything that you've learned and everything you teach down to one core essence. What do you think that one thing would be? Mm, Great question, Ron. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, I think it's that I want to remind everybody because we already know that you've got everything you need within and to trust that. You don't actually need anything from outside. It's all there. So just have a look in there, see what it is, get to know it, maybe get to love it and then trust it and share it when you're ready, you know? Oh, such a beautiful mm, lesson. Beautiful. Thank you so yeah, much. It was so fun talking to you today. <laughs> oh, you're welcome. Thanks for having me. Thanks for the tomatoes as well. <laughs> <laughs> Anytime. We've got tons. <laughs> 
And I hope you enjoyed our conversation with Beata. Beata shared some really personal and tragic information with us in that conversation. And I have to say that Joe and I both feel truly honored that she felt safe enough to do so. Thank you so much for sharing with us, Beata. As this episode explores issues of mental health, we've included the link for Lifeline in our show notes, and we urge you to seek help if you do need mental health support or are worried about someone in your life. As I mentioned in the mid-break, our next episode is episode 100, and we'll be live streaming it from our Facebook page and on Twitch. We'll be doing this on Sunday the 11th of April at 7pm, so definitely look out for that one. Our theme song is Baby Robots by GoSoul and is used with permission. Get his music from gosoul.bandcamp.com. Thank you so, so much for listening. Joe and I really appreciate you spending your time with us. Aroha nui. Big, big love. <laughs>